gospel. This is week 29 of our journey through Luke's gospel, and I love that. I love that you guys want to hear the word, that you guys want to hear the, the scripture preached and the, and, and the text dug into, and so I'm, I'm thankful that we can do that here together. Amen? This morning, the title is, is Arrogant Arguments. And the, the, uh, that's the title I, I gave them this morning to put on the screen. My title up here this morning is Antichrist Arrogance. So you can write down whichever one you want to. A- arrogant Arguments or Antichrist Arrogance. Both fit pretty well. And um, actually, Antichrist Arguments is a whole lot more fun to say. So you might want to put that one down in your notes this morning. We are continuing through Luke's Gospel. And as we do that this morning, let's start with the question, who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? This week, as Jeremy was talking this morning, we had an amazing vacation Bible school. It was just, we had, it, it was just, a, it was a great time. And uh, just, it was, in my opinion, it's, it's one of the best things we've done uh, for our kids, if not the best thing we've done for our kids since, since we've been here in Mobile. It was amazing. I loved it. And um, so a huge shout out, I've already done this, but we'll do it again. Huge shout out to Stacy. they're vacationing. They had all of the, of the vacation Bible school they could take, and they ran to Orlando. So we want to, we want to, but a huge shout out to Chris and the CC for all their work this week, and a huge also shout out to Michelle for all of the organizational uh, and, and admin and operational things that she did this week. And uh, just a huge thank you to her. And also, I mean, come on, there was, there was folks working at check-in, folks getting here early, folks going late to pick up a lot of decorations, bringing them over here, setting up. It was just, and then we had a, a check-in, and we had food, and we had nursery workers, and we had folks, uh, Crystal doing doing pre-K, and uh, we had folks, station leaders. If I start hauling out names, I'll, I'll surely forget somebody. So, Crystal, you're the only one I'm going to say. But it was just a great great week, a great week, and, and, but the question would be this morning, again, media team, and I do want to shout out Colby this week, because he has, he has been put through it this week, and um, not, not, I mean, it's, it, it's it, the devil's in the sound booth, right, and it was just, it was just killing us this week, but Colby has worked incredibly hard, and uh, just done a lot this week, and everybody has just done so much, again, I started hauling out names, we'll be here all day, and I won't even get into my text, and and that'd be, that, I, I want to preach, right? So thank you guys so much for all you did. Cleanup, motions, check-in, dismissal, offering, media team, station leaders, motion, just everybody, drama, Jesus. We had a guy from Australia who wasn't really from Australia. We, it was just a great week, an amazing week. The kids loved it. So let me ask you a question, though, this week. Who was the greatest this week? greatest this week. I would say, and my argument would be, I'd say it was the kids was the greatest. Because everything that we did was for the kids. We worked hard for the kids. We were were saying the kids are what's the great thing this week. Everybody served, everybody worked, everybody invested time, energy, money, talent, everybody invested, but who was the great? It was the kids, and they didn't do anything but show up and sing and dance and have fun. They were the greatest. Everything we did this week was to welcome the kids. Everything we did this week was to point kids to Jesus. 
Everything we did this week was to let them know and encounter the love of God in Christ Jesus. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven isn't the one with the most power or wealth or ability. The greatest in the kingdom is the one who was willing to empty themselves for the least of these. To treat the least as if they were the greatest. Unless we welcome the children, we aren't kingdom people. When we welcome children, we welcome Christ. And when we live to serve those for whom we can get nothing in return, that's when we are truly great in the kingdom of God. You got your Bibles? Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Or excuse me, Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 46. We're going we're gonna to walk through the uh, last few. your Bible, need to open it up, turn it on, scroll to it, tap to it, whatever you need to do, Luke chapter 9 will also be up on the screen, starting at verse 46, an argument started among them about who was the greatest of them, but Jesus, knowing their inner thoughts, took a little child and had him stand next to him. He told them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. For whoever is least among you, that one is the greatest. We're going to look at this morning at antichrist arguments and arrogant arguments. If you're taking notes, the first thing you want to write down is this, individual arguments. We see an individual argument pop up within these disciples. They begin to argue among themselves about who is the greatest. These followers of Jesus are arguing over greatness. Followers of Christ are arguing over who deserves the highest recognition. But I deserve it, John would say, or I deserve it, Peter would say, or I'm the greatest, John would say. Here's the thing, church. Maybe our actions deserve recognition, but when our heart is proud, our attitude doesn't deserve recognition. Arguing. Just about every church fight in Scripture can be boiled down to pride, selfishness, and arrogance. Just about every church fight in Scripture boils down to pride and arrogance. It starts here with the disciples and it continues throughout the history of the church. Who's the greatest? Whose voice should be listened to the most? Who carries the most weight? Whose opinion matters the most? When our attitude becomes who is the greatest, the kingdom loses. You hear that? When our attitude becomes about who is the greatest, the kingdom loses, the church loses, and the mission of Christ and the church loses, arguing over who is the greatest. But this attitude isn't isolated to individuals and interpersonal relationships, it also goes to ministry. Not only do we sometimes argue about who is the greatest in the church or who is the greatest in the body or who deserves the most recognition or whose voice has the most weight, we, we then sometimes have church competition. Church competition. We begin to wonder, which church is the greatest? taking notes, write that down, church competition. We, be, 
begin to wonder which church is the greatest, and we begin to use worldly metrics to determine kingdom value. How, how big are they? How, how many do they have in attendance? What, what's their giving? What's their tithes and offering like? What, what does their property look like? What, what ministries do they have? How large are they? We begin, we begin to compete with the church down the street or the church that we can see on our phone, and we begin to measure our church by other churches. We begin to measure our ministry by the ministry of another. We judge our church by what we see on other churches, Facebooks and Instagrams. Listen, another thing we may do, we may compare and, and, and judge our church, or this happens too. We begin to think that our church is the only church that has it right. Maybe we think that only large churches are doing things right. Or only small churches are doing things right. Or we think that if that church is big, they must be easy on sin. Or we think if that church is small, they must be doing something wrong and God's not pleased with them. Or we judge a church's ministry effectiveness and doctrinal integrity based on our own personal preferences, as if our own personal preferences carry kingdom weight. What we must do, people, what we must do, people of God, what we must do, church, is measure ministry by kingdom, by, we must measure the worth, the value of the ministry by kingdom proclamation and kingdom demonstration. Is the church proclaiming the kingdom and is the church demonstrating it? Is the church preaching Jesus and is the church showing Jesus to the lost? Luke chapter 9, verse 49, we're talking about this, this uh, church arguments, church competition. John responded, Master, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he doesn't follow us. Don't stop him, Jesus said, because whoever is not against you is for you. Master, they were, they were driving out demons. They were driving them out in your name. Demons were submitting to the authority and the power of your name, but we tried to stop them. They don't hang out with us. tried to stop them because they're not they're not following disagree on ministry style and church preferences. Some of us may like to sing out of the red back hymnal. Anybody remember those, those good old days, right? Some of us would like to sing off of the screen these brand new songs that just came out last week and we already got them down, right? Some of us want to come to church in our suit and tie. Some of us want to come to church in jeans and a button down. Some of us may believe that you should be baptized in water 
by being dunked and some of us may just sprinkle it. Is the gospel being proclaimed and is the gospel being demonstrated? If they are proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of heaven, if they are living out the great commandment and the great commission and they are preaching sound gospel doctrine, let's not be so quick to judge the work of God out of our own arrogance. Let's let God do God things, even if it doesn't look like the way we want it to look like. But we tried to stop them, Jesus. set free? Were people being delivered? Well, yeah, Jesus. Well, let them go. Let them do their thing. Let them preach Jesus. They may not look like us or hang with us or, or worship the same way we do, but if they are preaching Jesus and demonstrating the gospel, let them do their thing. I'm not saying, now listen, I'm not saying we embrace heresy or ignore heresy or bad doctrine, but let's have some humility in our measuring the faithfulness of the church. Are they driving out demons and are they advancing the kingdom of heaven? That is the measure here. That's the measure Jesus uses. Are they preaching the gospel? Are they taking territory from hell? Are they proclaiming Jesus in such a way that the devil trembles and that lives are changed and that sinners are saved and that the broken are made whole and that the sick are healed and that the lost are found? Are they proclaiming and demonstrating Jesus to the world? Now, don't misunderstand me. There are false teachers. There are false prophets. There are false churches. There are false preachers preaching false gospels. I'm not saying that we ignore false teaching and false prophets and false churches, but I'm saying is let's give some grace to those who may have a different preference than we do in how they accomplish the mission of God. Does that make sense? Too often we judge a church not by the gospel they preach, but whether or not they appeal to our own personal preferences and our own personal desires and our own personal likes and dislikes. Here's what a kingdom church should be doing. Take a note, you can write this down. Here's what a kingdom church should be doing. A kingdom church should be preaching the good news of the kingdom. A faithful church should be loving each other. A faithful church should be loving the community. A faithful church should be a public witness of Jesus. A faithful church should be devoted to the foundations of the faith. Those things that it says that they devoted themselves to in Acts chapter 4. They devoted themselves to the preaching of the apostles, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to those certain things, those, those foundations of the faith. We've got to be devoted to those things. If we're a faithful church, if we're a kingdom-minded church, we should also, another thing we should do is we should be making disciples. We should be making disciples, people who follow Christ above and beyond anything else. That should be the measurement of a kingdom church. That should be the measurement of a faithful church. That 
measurement. Let's not measure a church by what it's doing or not doing when it comes to our personal preferences or our personal likes. Let's measure the church by kingdom metrics. Measure the faithfulness of the church by kingdom metrics. What what that looks like, what each one of those things look like, loving the community, loving each other, preaching the gospel, what those look like in each local congregation is going to be unique. It's going to be unique for the congregation. Every congregation has its own feel, its own DNA. Every congregation has its own vibe, right? It's going to be unique to its culture. It's going to be unique to its community. It's all going to be unique. And every church ministers to a culture and in a context. Some churches... Some churches are still ministering as if it was 1963. Some churches are already in the metaverse and like it's 2057. We've got to be culturally contextualized and we've got to be unique to who we are. But we've got to be faithful to who God's called us to be and who God's revealed himself to be. So the application may be different, but the foundation remains Christ and Him crucified. So let's stop the church competition. Amen? Let's stop the church competition. It's arrogant. It's worldly-minded. It, in, it inhibits the work of the local church. If we are always comparing ourselves to another church, we are inhibiting what God is doing in us. It also creates distrust. It minimizes the work of God in the local church. Instead, church, let's look for ways that our church is advancing against hell. And let's be thankful for other churches that may be advancing against hell differently than we are. And let's be faithful in the work that we have been called to do while we are praying for God to open up whatever doors he would have us to walk through as a local church. And as this local church continues to live out our kingdom mandate and our church mission. Amen? But personal arguments and church competition aren't the only way that we demonstrate Antichrist arrogance. So we've got personal arguments, personal arrogant arguments. We've got arrogant church competition. If you're taking notes, this is the third one this morning. It's an us versus them mentality. An us versus them mentality. Another way this antichrist arrogance is seen in the church and in individual followers of Jesus is in an us versus them mentality. Let's let's be real. Let's be realistic for a second. We live in a culture that celebrates sin and invents new ways to sin. We live in a culture that embraces personal pleasure and eschews personal responsibility. We live in a culture that is hyper-individualistic and ignores the needs and cries of our neighbors. We live in a culture where abuse is rampant and accountability is rare. We 
live in a culture where identity politics trumps moral rightness. We live in a culture that devalues life as revealed in our inconsistent cries and helps for justice. And I'm talking about the culture of the American church. I know you all thought I was talking about the world. We have an us versus them mentality. Well, far too often, our hearts are just as arrogant and dirty and broken and sinful as the world. We turn a blind eye to our sin and our failure while we rant and we rage against the world. Like the disciples in Luke chapter 9, we are ready to call fire down from heaven and destroy our disciples, we are ready to bring down judgment before it's time. But before we get to this passage in Luke chapter 9, I want us to back up in scripture for some of the context of what we're going to read in Luke chapter 9. So if you've got your Bibles open, look with me at 2 Kings chapter 1. This is an amazing story of the prophet that we talked about last week, Elijah. Elijah was a mighty man of God, a mighty prophet of God. He healed the sick. He raised dead. He called fire down from heaven to consume an altar of that in a competition against the prophets of Baal. It was like one of the coolest passages of the scripture you'll read. There's just big, Elijah's like, let's do it. Let's fight, right? So the prophets of Baal and Elijah, they have this, uh, this competition to see which God's going to answer them from heaven and is going to consume and burn up an altar. So they make, they build an altar, put a sacrifice on it. The prophets of Baal march around it, beating themselves, cutting themselves, crying out to to Baal, and, and Elijah's over there reading the Bible. Elijah's over like, maybe you're, maybe Baal's on the toilet. It literally, Elijah says that to the prophets. Maybe Baal's in the bathroom. He doesn't hear you. So Elijah then, of course, he does his thing. He prays. He tells them, hey, that, that altar that you built for Baal, pour some water on it. Let's saturate it. Let's get it wet. Let's see if my God can answer. And he prays, and God answers, and a fire falls and consumes the the sacrifice that consumes the altar, burns it up, and then and then the prophets of Baal take off running, and they're defeated, and, and, and God moves through this prophet Elijah. Elijah was a mighty man of God. Now, when that happened, Ahab and Jezebel were on the throne, and Ahab and Jezebel had a, had a son, and his name was, his name was Ahaziah. 2 Kings chapter 1, after Ahab's death, Moab rebelled against Israel. Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice window of his upstairs room in Samaria and was injured. So he sent messengers instructing him, go inquire of Baal, Zebub, the god of Ephraim, whether I will recover from this injury. Now, just backstory again, God has proven himself faithful. God Yahweh is the God of Israel. But Ahaziah is seeking to inquire from Beelzebub, not the God of Israel, but the God of Ephraim. So, but the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Go and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, 
it's because, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of evil? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You will not get up from your sickbed. You will certainly die. Then Elijah left. He goes out to meet these messengers. And this message that God has given Elijah, he gives to the messengers. And through the messengers, they give that message to So the messengers returned to the king who asked them, well, why have you come back? And they replied, a man came to meet us and said, go back to the king who sent you and declare to him, this is what the Lord says, is it because there's no God in Israel that you're sending these men to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Hebron? Therefore, you will not get up from your sickbed, you will certainly die. And the king asked them, what sort of man came up to meet you and spoke these words to you? And they replied, a hairy man with a leather belt around his waist. And he said, it's Elijah the Tishbite. Elijah must have been some hairy dude for all that to take. Uh, that's Elijah. So King Ahaziah sent a captain with his 50 men to Elijah. And when the captain went up to him, he was sitting on top of the hill. And he announced, man of God, the king declares, come down. The king who had rebelled against God, the king who had, was seeking Beelzebub, that king says, Elijah, the king says, you come down. Elijah was a man of power, a man of might. And Elijah responded to the captain, if I'm a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. So the king sent another captain with his 50 men to Elijah. He took in the situation and announced. He took in the situation. What does that mean? It means when he got there, he saw all his friends who were burned up dead. He smelled the smell and the stench of their burning, rotting flesh. He took note of the situation. Elijah's up there. The dead guys are here. I got this. I got something to do, right? Man of God, this is what the king says. Come down immediately. Talk about arrogance. Elijah responded, if I'm a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. So a divine fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. So much for assessing the situation. Then the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. <laughs> the third captain did a much better job of assessing the situation. The third captain went up and fell on his knees in front of Elijah and begged him, Man of God, please let my life and the lives of these 50 servants be yours, be precious to you. Already fire has come down from heaven and consumed the first two captains with their companies. But this time, let my life be precious to you. This guy understood the situation. This guy understood. There's 102 folks here who have been burned up, and he gets there. Can you imagine when, when Ahaziah comes to this third captain and says, I got a job for you. Can you imagine what that third captain's already thinking? The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Don't be afraid of him. So he 
got up and went down with him to the king. And then Elijah said to King Ahaziah, this is what the Lord says. Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, is it because there is no God in Israel for you to inquire of Israel? You will not get up from your sick bed. You will certainly die. And Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Since he had no son, Joram became king in his place. And this happened in the second year of Judah's king Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat. The rest of the events in Ahaziah's reign, along with his accomplishments, are written in the historical record of Again, some backstory, right? Ahaziah's mom and dad were Jezebel and Ahab. They were wicked rulers of Israel. They introduced Baal worship into Israel. They introduced uh, sexual sin, idolatry, this idol worship. Uh, they had prophets of Baal. They set up idols and, and, and places to worship. And Ahaziah continued to worship this god, Baal, even after seeing God demonstrate himself to be real he rebelled in his heart there was wickedness in his heart and he served false gods and so he has this injury he falls he has an injury seeks instead of the prophet instead of the prophet of Yahweh Elijah he chose to seek a prophet of Baal for an answer and again he sends his first commander and Elijah calls down fire sends a second commander Elijah calls down fire, sends the third commander, and the third commander approaches Elijah with, with much respect and fear and trepidation and honor, and Elijah goes with him and presents the word of the Lord to King Ahab, or, or, or excuse me, to King Ahaziah, that he would not get up, that he would die, that he would face the judgment. the other 
we saw you and Elijah talking together. Surely, surely we can call down fire from heaven and destroy these enemies of yours. Let's, let's, let's do this, Jesus. Let's do this. Think about, think about the respect you'll get, Jesus. Think about how everybody's going to want to know you and worship you. We'll call down fire from heaven. Let, let's burn them to the ground, Jesus. Jesus did not come to create an us versus them mentality. Jesus took on flesh. He became us. He took the sin of all of us. We were all a them to God. But Jesus came down to tear down the us versus them mentality. John 3, 16, 17. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish. Everlasting eternal life, verse 17, is powerful. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He saved the world through him. Jesus came to tell us that we're all in the same boat. That we all need a savior. That, that we all need rescue. That we all, all need a deliverer. 
to save sinners. And so when Jesus hears his disciples' response, he is stern and strong with his disciples. Let's call down fire from heaven, Jesus. That'll do it. And Jesus hears them, and Jesus rebukes them in verse 55 and verse 56. But he turned and rebuked them. Some manuscripts, some ancient manuscripts, add these words to verse 55. So you, when you read verse 55, it says this, listen. But he turned and rebuked them, and then this is added to some manuscripts. You don't know what kind of spirit you belong to. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy people's lives, but to save them. and your attitude is always burned to the ground, you don't know what spirit you belong to. You don't belong to the one by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The disciples did not realize that the new covenant king was not like the prophets of old. He hadn't come to destroy his enemies, but to invite his enemies to become his friends. He hadn't come to bring judgment, but to bring justice. He hadn't come to condemn sinners, but to open up the door to the kingdom of heaven. Judgment will come. Jesus says so in Luke chapter 10. There will be a time for judgment, but let's not stand in the place of the judge, and let's not get ahead of the judge. Let's offer peace and hope and grace to those. Let's not issue an eternal verdict of judgment. That's the job of the ancient of days. That's not our job. Amen. Let's not call down fire of judgment to destroy our enemies. Let's pray for the fire of the Spirit to empower us to love the lost like Jesus. To see the image of God in every person. And to offer grace mercy to the sinner and to hold open the door of the kingdom and invite others to receive forgiveness and life our enemies will never be defeated by man it's only by Jesus Jesus was instituting a new covenant
disagree. Treating the treating our enemies the way God in Christ Jesus has treated us, not with fire of judgment, but with the fire of holiness and love. All have sinned. All have fallen short of God. God placed our iniquity on Jesus. It's not us versus them. It was all of us versus him. And he tore down the wall of separation and he invites us all into him to belong and find purpose and peace and hope and love and future and forgiveness. Let's join Jesus in saving lives and not destroying them. Let's join Jesus in loving our enemies and not othering them. Let's join Jesus in calling all to repentance while sitting at the table with him. Let's join Jesus in rebuking the flamethrowers and loving the gas and those arrogant arguers went and took the woman caught in the very act of adultery they left the dude, they took the lady
Church, can we pray this together? Heavenly Father, pray this out loud. 